0: Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. We're in a series right now. We're going through the book of Acts, and uh, we're not going verse by verse. So if you want to read along with us, Uh, You are welcome to do that, and you'll get much more out of it if you do. Let me say welcome to those of you who are watching online, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, and those of you who are here in the room. When I was 18 years old, I went skydiving. Anybody else been skydiving before? One? That's it? Oh, two? All right. Skydiving. It was a blast. Uh, I actually went with my girlfriend at the time, so... I try not to tell this story too often because it was not Darcy, Uh, but I'm with Darcy now. So anyway, we went skydiving for her 18th birthday, and um, it was awesome. Like, rush of a lifetime. I recommend it to anybody. So we we go skydiving, and I didn't do the kind of skydiving that you've seen most people do where you strap on to somebody else and they do all the work and you're just kind of along for the ride. I did the solo skydive, like jump out of the plane all by yourself, just you and the wind all the way to the ground. I say jump out of the plane. I guess it wasn't so much jumping. It was more like falling out of the plane. Um, The the, the version of skydiving that this um, company used was rather than jumping out like you see in the movies, there is a bar that's sticking out from the side of the plane attached to the bottom of the wing and you've got to reach out and grab the bar and then you drop your legs over the edge and so the wind's blowing you and you're like parallel to the ground holding on like this and then you shimmy your way out to the edge of this bar until they say go and you let go you hit the position that they taught you to hit and you're flying straight face down to the ground um, all the way down until this altimeter automatically pulls your chute and um, really cool, cool thing. And you would assume after me describing that that I was terrified the whole time, and I wasn't. Well, actually, when I got to the airport that morning, I was terrified. But something happened between arriving at the airport and 12 hours later, actually jumping out of the plane. Anybody know what it was? Training tons and tons of training, 12 hours worth. we get in there and the trainer spends the first hour just getting in our heads. Like he spends an hour talking to us about how safe it is to jump out of an airplane. He talks about how he is the best parachute packer in the world and how he has done this however many thousands of times and never once has even anybody had to pull their reserve chute like it works, his method works flawlessly every time. He said it was safer for you to, it'll be safer for you to jump out of that airplane than it was for you to drive to the airport this morning. He talked about how he is the best trainer in the world. And by the end of this trainer training, you'll be able to do it with your eyes closed. It's all, and he just made, he, he's just building our confidence, right? He's building our courage. I don't know if any of the thing that he said was true or not, but he told us it and we believed it. And so we ended up jumping out of the airplane. So then an hour of confidence building and then 11 more hours of confidence building in the format of training. I mean, they hang us from the roof of the hanger with a rope and you got to like learn how to steer with those pulley cable things. And then they teach you how they drop you. And while you're dropping, you got to like hit the right position. And if, if you hit the right position, then your body catches the air perfectly and you stay parallel and you don't start tumbling and tangle up your shoot and all this stuff. And they teach you how to fall. They make us jump off this wall and land. And they teach you how, like, if you land correctly, you won't break your legs. And they teach us how to fall down correctly. And, and all of this is a goal. He sets a goal. He's like, and just to let you know, out in the middle of that field, there is an X. And my goal is to get you all to hit that X. And so finally we get up in the airplane and you would assume terror and no, no terror until they open the door. That door opens up, wind blowing the ground. All this craziness, all everybody's yelling at each other because we can't hear because it's really loud. All this craziness, all this confidence becomes a little bit less when that door opens up. And then you need something more than confidence. What do you need now? Courage. Confidence got me this far. I need a little bit of courage now. And sure enough, every single one of us, all of us who went to the, through the training together, one by one, I was almost in the back of the line, one by one, everybody jumps out and we're watching. Guess what? Nobody's hitting the X. They're all doing, they're all fine. Nobody's pulling the reserves or anything, but nobody's hitting the X. And so finally, it's my time and I, I do all this training stuff, do it easily, I've done it a billion times. I was so tired of the training. I'm like, okay, we get it now. I don't need to hit this position anymore. Well, this is why you need to do it because they don't want you to have to think while you're doing all this. Shimmy out to the end of the bar, let go, hit the position, altimeter pulls the chute, opens perfectly, flying towards the ground, and I am able to spend the entire time focusing on the X. And I smack the X right in the middle of it. First one to do it. My girlfriend, however, did not hit the X, so that's why I broke up with her and now I'm with Darcy. (laughs) Okay, not entirely. That whole 12 hours of training was an exercise in building our confidence and building our courage. Last week, we left the church in a really exciting place. They're taking risks right and left, right? Risking their life right and left. But why are they able to do it? The Holy Spirit has come upon the Christian church. And the Holy Spirit empowers them. It gives them the ability to speak languages that they didn't even know and empowers them to launch the church, to speak boldly to those who threaten them physically. And as a result, thousands of people are saved. Thousands and thousands of people daily, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of their boldness and their courage. And what happens? This is a threat to the religious leaders. They don't like this. The Jewish religious leaders recognize the growth of the Christian church, and this is a threat because that means some of their power is going to be removed. Some of, some of their control over what goes on in their nation is going to be removed if all these people start following Christ rather than us, and they start to be threatened. So while Peter and John were preaching or speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests the captain of the temple guard. So now they got some military might behind them and some of the Sadducees. The Sadducees are like the the most powerful of the Jewish priests. They're in charge of the temple. So now we see another theme in the book of Acts. And that's the theme of external attacks. And you're gonna see it for the rest of the story. People don't like the growth of the church and they attack the church time and time again. In fact, they kill many of the people and the church. The more the church is in God's will, the more the enemy attacks. The more the church is in God's will, the more the enemy attacks. The Satan and his religious leaders hate the church, and they hate to see it succeed. They were scared of the church, so they fought the church. As you follow Christ, you'll begin to learn that the Satan really only attacks threatening people. Why? He's limited. The Satan can only be in one place at one time. Now he's got minions and they can go out and they can be in one place at one time. They're not infinite like God. They're finite beings. They're limited. So what do they got to do? They got to prioritize who are they going to attack. So who do they pick? The threatening ones those who recognize that they have a calling on their lives and who are willing to step into their calling. So if you are being attacked, be encouraged. Because Satan sees you as a threat. It's going to be hard. As you step into God's will, calling in your life, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be good. I grew up in churches that said things like this. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Oh, need a t-shirt. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. No, it is not. Even as a teenager, I'm like, what are you talking about? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Have you read the Bible? Did you read the story of Stephen? Stephen? getting killed? Was he safe? I'm pretty sure he was in God's will. Was he safe? Center of God's will is not the safest place to be. And many times it's the most dangerous place to be. So then the question becomes not how do I get more safe, but what I do when I'm in danger. And when I'm in danger, what gives me courage? When you're doing what God calls you to do, the Satan is threatened, and the Satan will use every weapon he has, every temptation, every minion he has to stop you from doing what God God wants wants you, what God has called you to do. So it's going to be hard. Good luck. Hope you survive. I think the two most trying words in the English language are good luck. What? I'm gonna need a little bit more than more than that. Good luck, you can. I'm rooting for you. As last couple of weeks ago, we watched uh, that movie Thirteen Lives. It's on one of the streaming services. I don't I don't remember which one. Awesome movie. It's the story of a, a soccer team, young boys in Thailand. And after practice, these boys decide that they're going to go explore this giant cave that's near their village. So they go explore this cave and sorry, COVID lung. Um, they go explore this cave and while they're exploring the cave, it starts raining. And like one of these rare rains it came earlier in the season, they weren't expecting it and it's raining, and it's raining, and it's raining. Well, they don't know it. They're in a cave, and they keep going deeper and deeper into the cave. Well, the floodwaters start pouring into the cave, and there is an unimaginable, an unimaginable amount of water now in between these boys and the entrance to the cave. And so the nation of Thailand and the whole world, all the expert divers and they're building dams to divert water up in the mountains to try to keep water from pouring into these caves so these boys can be saved. And it's a crazy, unbelievable story of rescuing these 13 boys. In fact, in the process of rescuing these boys, other people lost their lives trying to dive in and save them. It was an incredibly dangerous uh, situation. And so all these divers are risking their lives to go down into this cave to rescue these boys. And there's the, the like head diver guy is up top. And each time one of the guys dive in to go rescue these boys is like, good luck. Pat, pat him on the back. Like, what are you trying? Are you trying to kill them? This is what you got. You got to have something better. What's going to give these guys some courage? What's going to give them some confidence? You got to have something better to point to than good luck. Lately, I've been really closely watching the story of Ukraine, and I have been given a tremendous amount of confidence watching this guy. Now, I'm not trying to make a political statement about what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing in Ukraine. I don't know about his political affiliations or anything like that, but I personally, watching President Zelensky set an example of courage, have been incredibly encouraged. Because when a larger nation, a much larger nation like Russia attacks a weak little nation like Ukraine, everybody from the outside is looking in saying, you're going to cower, right? That's what we assume of President Zelensky. In fact, when Russia first attacks, everybody expects Ukraine's going to fall quickly and America goes to Zelensky and they they say, hey, we'll sneak you out of there. We'll, We'll fly in. You jump in. We'll fly you to America. We'll keep you safe. Just give up the nation." What's Zelensky's response? Anybody know? No. I don't need a ride. I need more ammunition. Yeah! I heard that on the news. I'm like, say it again. Tell me again. Tell me the whole story. Start at the beginning. I don't need a ride. I need more ammunition. Like, I didn't know that kind of courage still exists. I didn't know people like that still existed. Because remember, right before this, America leaves Af- Afghanistan. And what do they do? We've spent all this time trying to build up the Afghani leaders and trying to give them some courage, trying to give them some confidence because you got military mind, you got training now. And we build up all this confidence for them and then we leave and the Taliban comes in. What do they do? Tuck and run. We're out of here. Just take it, Taliban. You can have it. We're, just, we're out of here. So America looking on from the outside assumes Zelensky's gonna do the same thing. We just expect now that's the type of man who lives in our world. That's the type of person who lives in our world. You want us to get you out of there? I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. What does Zelensky have that Afghanistan leaders don't have? Zelensky's got some confidence, number one. Confidence comes from knowing something that everybody else doesn't know, right? It's like you got something up your sleeve. They don't see it. They think that you're in over your head, but they don't see the power that you've got. Everyone else doubts you. But Zelensky knew that his military was stronger than what people thought. He knew that they had some tricks. He knew that they had some strength, that they had some ideas. No luck needed. I've got confidence in my military. And this is the experience of the early church, right? The early churches just experienced this unbelievable power of the Holy Spirit unleashing, seeing miracles, seeing amazing things happen. God has empowered us. God has given us strength. God has given us confidence. So we're not confident. We're not moving forward because we're weak. We're moving forward because we recognize that power is on our side that you just can't see. What's the second thing Zelensky has on top of the confidence? He's got courage. Now, courage is what you need when you don't have all the strength. Courage is what you need when you don't have all the answers. Because some people do amazing things because they know they're amazing. You know this guy, right? Just always fighting battles because he's the strongest. Always charging hills because they know they can do whatever. That's confidence. And that's a good thing. But other people, they do amazing things even when they're weak. With their courage, they will charge into battles that they aren't positive they can win because they have courage. Paul says this to the church. Stand firm in the faith. Too far. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. He says, be courageous. Not Know that you have all the strength and just go forward. Be strong and be courageous. Be strong, but when your strength isn't enough, be courageous. Actually, if you look at the original language of the word courageous, the Greek word for courageous here is Andrizo. I love the translation, the literal translation of Andrizo. It says, quit yourself like men. Quit yourself. In other words, stop doing what comes naturally and act your part. Stop sitting in your comfort zone. Stop doing what's easy and do what you're called to do. Stop doing what comes naturally and act your part. Fake it until you make it. You're sometimes weak, but the team is strong. But you have a power behind you that is stronger than you are. So play your part. And if everybody on the team plays their part, we can accomplish more than we could individually. So let's go back to that passage. Where does our courage come from? He says, stand strong in the faith. Confidence without courage leads to pride. And pride comes before the fall. Confidence without courage leads to pride and pride comes before the fall. Our goal is not pride. That's not the kind of confidence we want. Because the reality is you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You you shouldn't be confident in yourself because you're not big enough to do it by yourself. What do you need? You need somebody who's stronger than you. You need somebody who has strengths that you don't have. When you are weak, they will be strong. You need confidence in God. You need faith in God. Quit yourself like brave men. Quit yourself. Muhammad Ali was on an airplane one time and uh, he didn't have a seatbelt on. So the flight attendant came over and said, sir, you need to put on your seatbelt. Muhammad Ali said, I'm Superman. Flight attendant said, sir, we're getting ready to take off. We can't take off until you put your seatbelt on. Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Flight attendant said, Superman don't need no plane. Put your seatbelt on. (laughs) Sometimes confidence can be misplaced. If If I'm too confident in myself, it's going to lead me to pain. It's going to lead to pride that will eventually lead to pain. Confidence without courage leads to pride, and pride leads to failure. Confidence isn't enough. Because you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. So then we need courage to do hard things. Then we need courage to step into something when I don't have all the answers. Because courage in yourself is just a dumb idea. But courage when you're on God's team, courage when you're on a good team, when you're on a winning team is a good idea. You can't be good enough to always win. So it's a good thing you're on the infinite God's side. So you need to rely on somebody else. Courage and faith are brothers. They have the same DNA. They come from the same place. The early church was was able to do amazing things because they had confidence in God and then they had courage to do things that might kill them and many times did kill them. They had courage to step forward, knowing that it may cost them their bodies, that it may cost them their lives in this world. But they have courage because they recognize that this world is not all there is, that their lives go on beyond this life, that their lives are eternal lives. So you can take my body, but you cannot take my life. And sometimes their bodies were killed. But they lived on. Nelson Mandela said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. When I hear people talk about Christian courage, it's not Nelson Mandela type courage. A lot of the courage I hear talked about uh, in, in Christian circles is this courage for selfish gain. If I'm courageous, I can earn this and I can be strong enough to do this. And if I'm courageous, then I can be this rich or I can have this much power. Or I can have this much influence. But Christian courage is most profoundly Christian when it's Christian, when it's courage like Nelson Mandela's courage, when it's courage like the early church's courage. It's most profoundly courage when it is sacrificial courage, courage for a cause, courage for others, the church looks like Christ when it fights for the rights of others, not its own. We're going to see in the book of Acts that they went through terrible persecution. They experienced terrible pain. Yet they never switched their mission over to a political battle. Why? I mean, if somebody just threatens a little bit of my liberty, if somebody threatens just a little bit of my freedom, my human, my fleshly desire is to fight for myself, to stand up for myself, to protect myself. You can't take my freedom. You can't take my liberty. And I want to become, rather than a missional person, I want to become a fighter for myself, to protect myself. That's our natural tendency. That is our flesh. That is not what Christ has called us to, because the early church had no freedom of of worship. They had no religious liberty. You follow us, you obey us, or you get punished. That was the life they lived, yet they never fought a political battle. In In fact, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I got more important things to worry about. I got more important battles to fight. I'm not going to get distracted by your human fleshly battles. I'm called to something greater. I have a bigger mission. Even after the powerful political rulers and military rulers of their time threatened them, they had no fear. Well, they did have fear. They had courage. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. And you read Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, and that's the whole story, really. They were sold out for the mission, that they risked everything. And people keep attacking, but they keep risking everything, and they just keep growing. It's like the more you try to defeat them, the more they grow, the more they spread. Because they were so missional, because they focused on the mission, they continue to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. When you were young, you had really high hopes about the future, didn't you? This is my experience with my kids. They got big dreams. My oldest son, Lincoln, is six years old, and he fully expects that he will be a pilot and a professional Minecraft player. That is his plan for life that he has set up a plan to pursue. My youngest son is three years old, and he fully expects that he's going to be a cheetah. So Lincolns sounded unrealistic until that one came around. I don't know. Somehow Tyree Kill figured it out. But. And what is our natural tendency as adults? Like, okay, why don't you try for something a little more accessible? Why don't you try to be a doctor or a teacher or something else? I mean, your, your dreams are good and all. That's cute. But let's get realistic, right? Because we've experienced failure. We've gotten a lot of no's in our life. We've, we've hit a lot of walls in our life. And so our temptation is to try to protect them from those hard no's, those hard failures in life. And we just try to lessen their expectations. You know, if I ever try to step outside my body and watch myself parent, this is what it looks like. Don't put that in your nose. Don't jump off that thing. Don't eat that. Don't go there. Don't hit him. Don't do that. No running, no wrestling, no fighting, no fun, no enjoyment. Don't you know this is the time of day when we're all miserable? Join the club. Why? What is that in us? What is it that when we get older, we just like to make things safer and calmer and easier? And if I can just suppress desires and if I can just make everything off limits, then everything becomes safe. If you can't do anything, you can't get hurt. This is the life we live. Just constantly decrease danger, constantly decrease the the risks and the, the big goals. If you go after a big goal, there's too much chance for failure. Let's go after a small goal. This is the life we live. And uh, largely, I think this is what the church has become. We have become the morality police. If we can get everybody just acting like we act, use our language, politically correct, say the right things, act the right way, we start adding a bunch of rules and and enforcing them, not just on the church, but we think everybody should follow our rules because this is what we think you should do and so everybody better do it. Fall in line. Morality please. just trying to make everybody good. We're not trying to make everybody Christian so much. Just if you're good enough, we're okay, we're okay with that. You just, just be moral. I'm not okay with that. Because that is not the mission God called us to. That is not the church God told us to build. In fact, Jesus comes to earth and he starts doing the exact opposite. Everybody's calling him a drunkard and you're always hanging out with prostitutes and hanging out with sinners and and eating with tax collectors and doing all the sinful stuff. You're not obeying the Sabbath and, and you're not eating the right stuff and you're not whatever fill in the blank rule that they had created and tried to expect everybody else to follow. Morality police. Jesus says, that's not our mission. That's not our calling. We've got a bigger goal. We've got more important things to do. And it has much more to do with my holiness than your holiness. I'm not here to judge how good you are. I'm here to judge how good I am, Jesus says. It is not your goodness that's going to save you. It is Jesus' goodness that's going to save you. So we don't point people to good behavior. We point people to Jesus. Why are we so distracted? Why have we lost sight of our mission? Why have we lost sight of our goal? Because that's natural to us. Because in our flesh, our desire becomes just constantly expanding our comfort zone. If I can get enough power, if I can make enough money, then I can just expand my comfort zone. I can just make it bigger. I can buy more land. I can buy more space. I can control more people. And if I can control more people, then my comfort zone gets bigger and I never have to get outside of it. Usually what expanding your comfort zone looks like is pushing people that aren't like you outside of it. Like my my zone's growing here. Could you just move that way a little bit? Because now you're in my zone. It's growing. More comfort for me. Just stay away. This is what ends up happening. For most of our lives, if I can get enough power, if I can get enough strength, if I can get in enough money, then I can expand my comfort zone. I can even adopt other areas into my comfort zone if I have enough power. I can even enforce my comfort zone on other people. So now I can go there and still be comfortable. When the Christian church started growing, you look at it in Rome. This amazing mission expands to Rome. Rome gives it surrenders surrenders itself to the Christian mission. And what happens? They all start ending up using Rome methods rather than Christian methods. Political methods, military methods to expand, to grow. They lost sight of the mission. They lost sight of the calling. We're not like Christ anymore. We're now more like the world. In America, as soon as the Christian church had grown to the point that it now had voting power, like majority rule, we started using politics rather than the Christian mission to expand our agenda. All I gotta do is vote correctly. We gotta hey guys, we got enough Christians that if we all vote the same way, we can control everything. I know Jesus' way didn't look like that, but this'll work better. Just trust me, everybody follow in line. That's not our mission. That's not our calling. We're distracted. We're we're now using fleshly means. We're now using human desire to grow God's mission. Why don't we just stick to his plan? Why don't we just follow him and do it his way? Because his way requires outside of the comfort zone. You look at the way the disciples in the early church and Jesus lived their lives. It had nothing to do with the comfort zone. It looked like constant danger. Regular pain. Jesus and his disciples had no comfort zone. They're going through Samaria. They're going to the tax collector's house. We're we're not just leaving the comfort zone. We are seeking out danger. That's the type of church I believe we're called to be. That's the type of church I think new life is called to be. Not suppressing potentials, not not take playing it safe, not trying to expand our comfort zone. If we can grow big enough that we can get everybody thinking like us and acting like us. We were called to take some risks. Let's break some rules. Let's do some hard things. Let's do something dangerous. That's who we're called to be. I'm tired of this safe stuff. Because in the short term, it may look like it has some good benefits. And the long-term, it will bite us because that is confidence in us. That is courage founded in our strength and our strength is not enough. We will lose. The only thing we can do is point people to Christ. The only way we win is point people to him. So God, to you, I surrender. To your mission, to your plan, even when it doesn't make sense to me, to your plan, I surrender. I'll give it to you. This is our calling. Messages like these are difficult because of us. We have a, different, have a different calling, so it's hard for me to say, "Okay, here's your step. Do X, Y, and Z." and Z. Your calling is different than mine. Your purpose is different than mine. So, in, so instead, the M has to be something like this. What's your next step? What's something sm- small outside of your comfort zone that you can do? Just take a step in that direction. What's something that will be hard for you to do? Do. And I don't mean outside of your skill set. I just mean, mean risky. Take a chance. Don't be scared of failure. Trust that God will give you what you don't have and start moving in that direction. Maybe for you, it's paying off debt so you can be more generous. Maybe it's changing professions or going public with your faith on social media, getting baptized, volunteering at New Life. We had 12 people sign up to volunteer at New Life for the first time, celebrating that. But take a risk. Do something hard. Change your baby's diaper. That sounds terrible. Okay. God, I thank you that you have called us to bigger, better things. And I praise you that your way is right and our temptation is not. God, would you help us to know you more so that we can become more like you in the way we lead people to you? God, we surrender. And if there's anybody here today who has been looking to their own righteousness to try to be good enough to be your child, to be good enough to be a Christian, I pray that you would reveal to them your perfection and your grace that makes it possible for them to be adopted into your family even when they are not good enough. God, we thank you for your love. We surrender to it. In Jesus' name, amen.